The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018 Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. Uh, this is personal worship training. The point of personal worship training is we want you guys to treasure the means God has given us to relate to him. So let me lay that out a little bit. God is a person, not an idea. We don't worship a code of ethic. Christianity is not just a list of rules, but it's about a person that we interact with, and that person is God. God created us to glorify him primarily through the way we relate to him. Therefore, we want to treasure the means God has given us to relate to him. That's the whole point of of personal worship training, we want you guys to begin to treasure those things. So we want to lay out what those means are, and then um, hopefully you build affection for them. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about prayer. So in Colossians, you'll see this verse, Colossians 4.2, continue, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is a continual command in the New Testament. And continue steadfastly, you could, you could also translate be devoted to prayer. So it's just the idea of constantly being in prayer. But prayer is kind of a hard thing. So here's my outline for today. I want to answer the question, why is prayer so difficult for us? And then I want to talk about what it is. I'll just define what I think prayer really is. And then three, why should we want to pray? So, um, hold on. So first we'll talk about why, why is prayer so difficult. So I want to read you guys a little bit from um, a book called uh, Recapturing the Wonder. I would highly recommend this book. If you guys want to, um, you could read on project, maybe after project. This book talks about habits and doing things that can feel rote or feel not exciting. And how do you regain the wonder of, of doing those things? We talked about it a little bit last week, right? When you look at the Bible, you see the glory of God. God's primary way of interacting with us is through the Bible. That's, that's how he's chosen to reveal himself to us, is through the Bible. And we talked about the chalet, you know, you see the Swiss Alps. And so um, when we see that as awe, as a wonderful thing, then, um, then we regain that wonder and that awe. And a big reason why we don't is because we have so many distractions. So, so I'm going to read you guys a little story in this that deals with those types of distractions. So, um, This is the author saying this. Every summer, I take my family down to the Florida Panhandle for our vacation. While I'm there, I try to wake up at sunrise and go for a run, tracing a few miles of the hard-packed sand that the surf rolls smooth as it laps in and out. It's the perfect time to be on the beach. It's mostly empty, and you can feel the air change as the sun rises. Pelicans fly in impossibly low formation above the surf, and occasionally dolphins and sand sharks can be seen rolling on the surface, feeding on the pompano, pampano, pompano, that run between the sandbars near the shore. A few years ago, after a run, I was walking back toward town, crossing the dunes on a wood plank walkover. Some bushes just to my right began to stir, and a moment later, a fox leapt from them onto the walkover, calm as she could be. She was lean and lithe and wild, red as a glowing ember, and when she moved, you could see the layers in her fur. 
her sandy undercoat, the dark tips of fur near her ankles and the tips of her ears. Her tail was enormous and hailed a warning, like someone waving a mace. She stood 10 or 15 feet away and stared at me. There was no one else around. She didn't bristle. She wasn't startled. But she did pause. When her eyes met mine, I felt like I was looking into something I would never really comprehend. Something both fierce and frail. Something that shared my creatureliness, but whose own nature was so vastly different from mine as to be incomprehensible. She too is dust. She too is fearfully and wonderfully made. But aside from that, she's a mystery. She turned and never looked my way again, disappearing into the dunes, silent as a ghost. That happened just a few years ago. If it happened today, I can imagine it being very different. There'd be an additional layer of temptation. Back then, I wasn't on Facebook or Twitter. I doubt I even had a camera on my phone, and if I did, its resolution would have been laughable by today's standards. Today, I'd be tempted to grab my phone and take a picture. Rather than standing face to face with the wild, I'd be mediating the moment through my phone. So what would your guys' response be? Just think about this. What would your response be in that situation? You interact with something from the wild, a creature. Would you grab your phone? Would you want to run away? Would you be scared? What, 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 would, what would your interaction be? Similar to the fox, to engage with the glory of God, we must be present in the moment. We can't try and capture it. We must be present. Last week we talked about how important this is, and you'll see the same in prayer this week. I see three reasons why we as people wouldn't want to be just present to experience a moment, like a moment with a fox or with God. Um, I, think that, I think the story of the fox really translates well into how we treat God and how we interact with God. So I see three reasons why prayer is so difficult, why it's hard to... So if you can see the comparison, interacting with a fox, there's so many th reasons why you wouldn't want to just be present in the moment. In the same way, prayer is difficult because so many reasons we don't want to be present in the moment with God. So um, first one is this. Real moments evoke things we don't want to feel. So, life is hard. We talked about last week, the comedian said, life is tremendously sad. You can feel that almost forever empty feeling inside of you. Some of you guys would look at the fox and think, it reminds me of so much pain that I have in my life. Because this is so real, I, I, don't, I don't want to deal with it. In the same way, we don't want to deal with that with God. So, in times that are hard, what we tend to do is we distract ourselves. Um, and I, I do that all the time with my phone. I shared that with you guys last week. If, if I feel embarrassed or ashamed or think about someone who doesn't like me, it's just all of a sudden I'm looking at ESPN. I don't even know how it happened. I just all of a sudden, I'm, that's what I'm looking at. Um, and if life is good, do we want to capture it because we want to remember it in the moments that it's not good, right? It's nostalgic. Like we, we want to do that. Instead of just being present in the moment, we really need to capture it so that we can continue with it. So um, we distract or we capture. Um, the second thing we do is uh, we dream on our phones. We go through our phones and dream of things that we could have. We look at somebody who has something and think we, we believe the, the lie that feels really secure to say, all I need to do are these things and then I'll have that. All I need to do is have a business major and then I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> That's all I need. But we actually think like that. I'll be a millionaire if, I, if I'm a business major. Um, and um, we divulge very little to other people. So when we're on social media, on our phones, it's easy for us to project an image that isn't really us. 
Because if we really projected the image that was us, we'd be embarrassed by it and we'd feel ashamed by it. We don't like real life because it evokes emotion in us that's difficult to deal with. It's hard. Um, secondly, I think it's hard because we're afraid of God. So if I, I think this is actually how I'd respond. If I had seen the fox, I'd be thinking, I want to step away as quickly as possible because I'm afraid. I'm like, what if this feral fox, what if he attacks me? And when you think about coming to God in prayer, it's so easy to be ashamed and terrified of him. So that storm last night, did, was anybody truly terrified of what was going on? Yes, I was too. I, I was sitting in my room with my wife and my boys. We, you know, we, have, we have two rooms in our hotel room, and so we were sitting in the back trying to stay away from both windows. And I'm just thinking, like, if this hotel crashes to the ground, what am I going to do? You know, like I was, it's like my mind's going to utter extremes because it was scary. I mean, there's hail hitting on the window. Water is literally just flooding into my window. Just the, all the seals, just water's leaking in. It's like, what, what am I going to do? Um, you hear the wind howling. It almost sounded like a tornado was going to hit. You couldn't see like five feet in front of you. And that really is what God is like. He's terrifying. He's so powerful. And what the Bible says is he sees everything about you. You can't hide from him. He knows everything about you. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You've seen my thoughts from afar. You search out my lying down, my waking up. Um, that he knows you completely. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows everything about you. You can't hide from him. And he's terrifying. So we're afraid of God, um, which is, makes it very easy for us not to want to engage in prayer. And I'm speaking from personal experience. These, these things I, I really feel. Third thing is this. We don't really want God. So when you get past the fear and all the distractions, and I say, okay, I'm going to be present to look at this fox and just enjoy this moment with this creature that is so different from me. I just don't think that creature is very interesting. And in the same way, that's how I think we think about God. We think God's kind of boring. He doesn't have a lot to offer me. So it's hard to want to engage um, with that. So um, John Owen says this. John Owen is a Puritan um, in the 17th century, and he says this on prayer. He says, a minister may fill his pews, his communion roll, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. That's important, especially in Christianity, because I could be up here, and I am up here, because a, a small part of me wants you guys to think that I'm a good communicator. It's not a small part of me. And I want praise. I, don't, I want affection for that. But when I'm just alone with God, there's no hiding. I can't fake that. I can't fake that I like Christianity or that I like God because nobody else is around for me to fake that too. And so prayer really draws that out of you. It's going to show you exactly what you want. When you pray, what is it like? What do you say to God? What's your posture? Are you happy? Are you terrified? Are you bored? Do you even pray? 
And if you don't pray, maybe you're just acknowledging you don't really know if God exists. You just think of him more as an idea rather than, rather than an, a person that, that you interact with. And so uh, these are all reasons that in my life I, I don't pray. And um, as they land on you, um, maybe they'd be the same for you. So, so that's why we don't pray. Um, second, what is prayer? Let's define prayer. And then I'll talk about why we should want to pray. So, um, here's my definition for prayer. Prayer is answering God. That's it. Tim Keller, um, pastor in New York, he wrote a book called Prayer. And um, the subject is prayer. And he, uh, and he said... Uh, um, this, this is his answer. Essentially, this is his answer. He would say, prayer is answering God. It's a really pithy definition of what it is. Here's why I think this is a good definition. Um, first, I think it's a good definition because it's based on what we know of God, regardless of religion. Prayer is interesting because regardless of what religion you are in, prayer is an important piece of it. Everybody has a sense that they should be interacting with the transcendent. And so regardless of what religion you go to, prayer is going to be a part of it. And regardless of religion, your prayer is going to look different based on what you know about God. <coughs> so in Christianity, what is the primary way we know about who God is? Bible. The Bible. That's right. So the primary way we know who God is is the Bible. And so therefore, here's what I would suggest to you. Prayer and the Bible are like right foot, left foot. You shouldn't just read the Bible. You shouldn't just pray. They work um, in tandem with one another. God speaks and we answer in prayer. God speaks in the Bible. We see who he is and then we answer in prayer. That's how God has wired it to be. Um, so, uh, maybe I don't have this quote. Yeah, I didn't. That's fine. Um, we'll move on. So the second one is God is a relational God. It's just naturally who he is. He's wired to want to relate with us. And that's what he created us to do, is to relate to him. And I think it even helps to think about the nature of who God is um, in the Trinity. So just really briefly, some of you guys may think, this is way over my head. So um, if that is, then that's, that's not a problem. But just know, if you miss what I'm just about to say, just know God is a relational God. But um, you can see that in the Trinity. If God wasn't three persons in one God, what if he was just one person in one God? Then love relationship couldn't have existed until God created someone. Does that make sense? Because he's, he's only one person. Love, so therefore, God isn't fundamentally love. He'd fundamentally be power, right? He wouldn't fundamentally be relational. But God is. It, it, the Bible is really clear that God is a loving God, and it works through the Trinity. God, through all of eternity past, God has been in relationship to himself through the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's just, the who, that's just who God is. He's a relational God, and he created us to be relational beings and to join him in that relationship. So that's the second one. God is a relational God. And then third, um, God demands a response to his glory. Again, we talked last week about the Bible and how in the Bible we see the glory of God. That's why we should want to read the Bible, because you see the glory of God. And... He demands a response to his glory. Thus we answer God. 
Tim Keller would say this. So the greatness of prayer is nothing but an extension of the greatness and glory of God in our lives. So if you get the picture, it's like, here's God. And as we see his glory, it's almost like it's infectious. And we're being brought into it a little bit more. Okay. So we, we pray and it, and it brings us in. So to fail to pray then is to not merely break some religious rule. It is a failure to treat God as God. It is a sin against his glory. Because his glory is primarily revealed to us through his relationship with us. So it's a sin against God's glory for you not to pray because you, you are um, saying God isn't really who he is. He's not a relational God, but he is. And he demands a response. So, okay, up to this point, you may be feeling lots of negative thoughts because I've been kind of negative about the way we think about prayer. And in, in my own life, the struggle that I feel with prayer is that I'm not worthy to pray. I come to prayer, I'll have a list of things I want to pray for, and I get easily distracted. And all of a sudden feel ashamed and feel like God doesn't want to be around me. I'm not worth um, my time with God. And um, it's, it's, I mean, that in itself, is, it's just so easy to um, not want to pray. So you guys may be feeling that way. And I've been talking negatively about prayer, it, it, or saying a lot of negative things about prayer and our relationship to prayer thus far. So, let's change it a little bit. Let's talk about why we should want to pray. Because this, what, why we should want to pray, is really how God wants us to think about prayer. It's an answer to God. His, his glory does demand a response. But more, not only is it a demand, it's also an invitation for us. He's, he's welcoming us into it. And so, here's why we should want to pray. We should want to pray because... It is an invitation into the dance of God's glory. So, see that? See how it's blinking? Okay. <laughs> you don't get anything else out of this talk. This is what you should get out of it, okay? The reason we should want to pray is because it's an invitation into the dance of God's glory. We see the glory of God in the Bible and our response to God in prayer God wants that. God invites that. He's calling us into something where we can be a part of his glory. So, Keller says that. He says it is an extension of God's glory. The greatness of prayer is nothing but an extension of the greatness and glory of God in our lives. God wants to speak with you. Think about that. He wants you to speak with him. He created all things. He's holding all things together. We read that this week, right? He's holding all things together. Um, literally, he speaks all things into existence. If he would stop thinking about you for a, a second, you would cease to exist. And that God wants to speak with you and to know you. And he wants you to know him. So he want, he's, he's inviting you into a dance where you're going to be able to see his glory, enjoy his glory, and then talk with him. We use our phones and other distractions to numb us from the reality of life. And God wants to pierce through all of that to get to you. He wants to affirm that he loves you deeply and he wants to draw you into a greater experience of who he is. Namely by seeing his glory and interacting with it. So, so here's, here's my question. Who do we dance with? And I've got, I've got two, uh, two different images for God. Now, if... Um, let, me, let me just say this. this. This is, again, drawing from my experience, and this is an analogy of what's going on. Okay? This is an analogy. This isn't the reality. So 
Um, take it as an analogy. If this analogy doesn't work for you, toss it. I, I'm just trying to express the, the engagement that we have with God and what he's calling us to. Because I think it's really exciting. Um, and I think, I think this helps. So, um, so who do we dance with? One, we dance with a king. So God is majestic and terrifying. That storm yesterday, as small as it was, made me realize how minute I am. It's not a hurricane. It wasn't a hurricane. It wasn't on anybody's radar. But it felt like a hurricane to me. I was scared out of my mind. And um, it's probably just because I have a family. You know, you guys may, may not have been as scared. But um, No, um, God is majestic. And he's powerful. He's a king. And the way in which we interact with him through prayer is as though he is a king. Um, he's also just. He will by no means clear the guilty. So when you interact with God, you're coming before somebody who is holy. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah comes before God. And the second he comes into his presence, he says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Basically, like, I should be struck dead because I'm in God's presence. He just experiences God's glory, and that's how he, that's how he feels. We're interacting with someone who's very dangerous. So he's, he's just, and he's also merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. We see that because he sent himself. He sent his son to die for us so that we would know him. And if he wasn't king, then his mercy and his graciousness would mean nothing. If he wasn't just, then it wouldn't be something, his mercy wouldn't be something that we don't deserve. We would deserve his mercy. Therefore, it would cease to be mercy. He's a king. He's terrifying. He's majestic. He's powerful. That's who God is. That's who you're coming to. But he's also a father. And as, as your father, he wants you to know that he delights in you. I really want you guys to get this point, because this is where I get hung up on prayer. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road for me in prayer is this point right here. Does God really delight in me? If he doesn't, then I want to run away from God, and I don't want to talk with him. I want to go to my distractions. But if he does delight in me, that changes the ballgame completely. So... I'm a father, you guys know. Um, we've got two kids, William and Sullivan. And, uh, well, I mean, there's so many things I could share. I'll share this. So, William, um, I've shared this before. William's got these little train sets at home. Did I share this last week? Train sets? Did I think about this? So, he's got these little train sets at home. You get him at IKEA, he like builds the train tracks, you know, and then. Um, you know, he's got like these little magnetic wooden trains that, you know, go up and down throughout the track and everything. And um, I'll help him build the track. And then William takes the trains and he sits in the middle of this big track that we've built. And he just goes, you know, he goes up this little hill and down. And he's just on his knees, you know, just like going around. And he's totally in the zone. Totally in the zone. And when uh, my son is in the zone, he makes a cute little noise. <laughs> he goes, Meh. I don't know if you guys have heard this. <laughs> But when he's, it, listen to it, on project, when he's drawing with chalk, it, it's like, 
he's not drawing with chalk. And it's really cute. So, um, so he's in the zone. He's really enjoying it. And as his father, I am so delighted to see him delight in things. I love to watch my son play with trains. He's not doing anything for me. I love him just because I love him. I really want you to get that. God loves you just because he loves you. He delights in you because God decided to delight in you. There's nothing that you could ever do. And that is a good, good thing. I feel so much affection for William. There's nothing he could ever do to take that affection away. Nothing that he could ever do to take my affection away. Sullivan has, um, Sullivan has just started to walk. And um, he walks like 10. Both my sons have taken a very long time to walk. We have very little athletic aspirations for either of our sons. <laughs> um, they truly, they really do take after their father and mother. Um, my son is like 14 months old. My brother's daughter, she started walking when she was nine months old. Um, she's about the same age as William. And um, William, on his first birthday, crawled for the first time. <laughs> they sent a picture of her on her first birthday riding a scooter. So, um, so my sons have, have just taken a long time. So, but Sullivan is, Sullivan's like 14 months now. He has taken a really long time to start walking. Um, but he's in the hotel. Even like yesterday and today, he's been walking a lot more. I don't know if you guys have seen this. He walks like, you know, five feet, you know, and then he goes, you know, falls down. Then he gets up and he wipes off his hands. It's really cute. He goes, <laughs> and then he like tries to do it again, you know. And so, um, so he's just learning how to walk. As his father, I'm not disappointed in him that it's taking him a long time to walk. It's so fun to see him learn how to walk. I know he's going to do it. I'm not worried that he's not going to be able to walk. But as his father, I'm not concerned about him um, doing it well enough for me. It's just enjoyable to see him learn how to walk. And when you interact with God, and you know that he delights in you, and you take him as your king, your life will be transformed. When you put him in his rightful place, your life will be transformed. So we come to prayer and we, we try, but we, we want to pray, we want to read our Bibles, we, we, we put effort into it. But the effort is not so that we can please God, so that he'd be pleased with us. He's already pleased with us. We do it because we want to know him more. We want to see God for who he is. And the God that we have is a God who is majestic, terrifying, and he delights in you. It's a both hand. You really have to get that. He loves you just because he loves you. If you don't understand that point, prayer will never make sense to you. It's going to be really hard to pray for the rest of your life. So we interact with him as a father, as his delight, as his friend. Did I have this quote? No, I don't. Okay. Um, let me just read you a quote. Um, okay. As his delight, as his friend. Um, J.I. Packer says this, Knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. 
Knowing God is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with him. Friends open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. We must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship. It's emotional, as well as an intellectual and a volitional one, one in which you say, I will do these things for you. And it could not indeed be a deep relationship between persons if we're not an emotional relationship. Now, some of you get weirded out by that because you think, you know, emotion, is that, is that elevating emotion too much? Listen, Jad Packer is a theologian who has written books on the importance of thinking well and the importance of the mind. And he's saying it's really important that you treat God as a friend where it's an emotional relationship. So when, you, when you're praying to God, think, how do you interact with a friend? In the same way, that's how we interact with God. Thirdly, as his dependent. He treats us as his dependent. In the same way that when we're in a bind, we call our parents, whoever that may be, God wants us to do the same thing. He says, you, you have not because you ask not. He says in Luke 11, talking about money and how people are concerned about what they're going to have, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's saying, I want to give you good things. I will give you those things. Treat me as somebody who would give you those things. And as a dependent, he's not just saying for material things, but he's saying as an emotional counselor and as someone who you can go to for guidance. And um, when you're having a hard day, you bring all of your emotions to him. So, um, let, me, let me close like this. When we understand God as king and father in tandem with one another, majestic, powerful, and yet he delights in us, and he loves us. It becomes easy to see why we should continue steadfastly in prayer um, with thanksgiving. No one has a God like ours. You would want to keep praying because you love God. You see him as a person who delights in you, and you see him as someone who's drawing you out of yourself into something far greater than you could have ever imagined. I said this last week. You were made for mountains, not mirrors. You were made for glory, far beyond you. And he's affirming you and saying you're of the greatest value. And come with me and see all that I've done. Look at, look at creation. Enjoy it with me. Do things with me. That, that's the God that we have. That's what he's calling us into. So it is an invitation. Prayer is an invitation into the dance of God's glory. We see the Bible, see what it says, and that's how we respond. We respond with prayer. So, final thought. Um, I want you guys just to write this down and think about it. To be established in Christ, how important is it for you to continue steadfastly in prayer? Now, um, you can write that down. We're going to take a, a short break. And then um, um, we're, we're going uh, to take a short break after this. But before we do that, um, we're going to get the workshop portion is going to, we're going to 
look at the inductive method again, like we did last week. So we're going to look at how to study the Bible, just briefly, and then we're going to get into the practicals of how exactly can you pray? What, what, is that, what does it look like on a daily basis to pray? So um, take a break. It is 9.42, 9.43. Why don't you go until um, 9.50, and then we'll come back together, okay? Danielle who? Who?
Um, this weekend? Yeah. Um, I could do. Um, yeah. Um, I'll probably do Sunday. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Make back to your seats. Before we get started, uh, I believe it's somebody's birthday. <laughs> Two birthdays. Okay, so Danielle and Daniel and Daniel. How Where is Daniel? Yeah, where's where's Betsy? All right, stand up. Let me stand up. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, why don't, we, why don't we sing for them, okay? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Daniel. 
Danielle, how old are you? 21. 20. Daniel's 20. All right, remember, throwing both of them in the pool later. Okay, so we, the workshop, there's so much to do. So um, here's what we're going to do first. What I want you guys to do, so last time we talked about the inductive, and I wanted to give you guys a full picture of what it looks like, how I, how I do the inductive when I do it. And for some of you guys, you thought, whoa, that was really overwhelming, and it's not where I'm at at all, which is totally fine. What I want to do today is back up and just do one of those steps. So we'll do one of those steps. I'm going to have you guys um, pair up with a person next to you, and um, why don't you guys first open up, your, uh, open up to that cheat sheet. Do you guys remember what that cheat sheet is? On 79, page 79. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here, uh, here's what we're going to do. I am just going to talk about the first three steps, and then we're going to be done with the inductive method. I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you again how to think about the first three steps under observation, so one, two, three, and then, and then I'll have you guys pair up, and you'll just do the third step together, and then we'll, we'll move on, okay? So first thing I do is I write the text out. Luckily for you guys, we have it all written out, but I think this is actually really helpful. If you guys remember last week, we were talking, I, I showed you the little dots, you know, and um, as I collected more dots or I added more dots, you guys saw what the picture was, right? Observation. So there's observation, interpretation, application. Observation is collecting the dots. You're adding more dots on the page so that you can see what the picture is, okay? That's all we're doing. And so writing the text out is actually really helpful because it makes your mind think about the text. You will comprehend more if you write something out as opposed to simply reading it. So you want to write the text out. And then secondly, the, the, the second step right here is begin building a queue of questions. And basically, that continues throughout the entire observation time. You are constantly asking more and more questions. So this doesn't mean you have to ask all your questions right here before you move on. It just means start doing that, and you will continue to ask questions throughout the whole thing. And then third. You ask who, what, when, where, why, and how. So um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do who, what, when, where, and why. Um, and uh, let me just explain real quick. So who is a person. It's a noun that is a person in the text. A what is a noun that is a thing in the text. A when is anything in the text that signifies time. So it could be a noun, maybe different. But anything that signifies like past tense, present tense, or like on the day that we drew near, you know, things like that. It, so it could be anything. Aware is anything that signifies location in the text. I don't include in Christ as a location. That's not, that's not what we're, we're getting after here. Um, and then why is anything that is a reason for something else which is a little bit different than cause and effect, but it's a person saying, for this reason this happened. 
or you know, we, we did this, and our thought was we wanted to do this so that you know that this would be true. That's a why. You guys, does that make sense? Do those five make sense? So who is a person in the text? A what is a noun that is a thing in the text? Um, a when is anything that signifies time in the text? Where is any location in the text? And why is someone saying, for this reason, I've done this? Now, that's all we're going to do today. And I'll show you guys um, my symbols again if you want to use them. If you guys don't want to use these, there is absolutely no pressure to use these. These have been helpful for me. It tends to speed things up for me. So, um, again, these ones right here, all these five, I just put over whatever I'm signifying. So if I see Jesus Christ, I'm going to put a little stick figure over that in the text. Um, and then these ones, I actually will circle whatever the cause is, and I'll, I'll lead it to the effect. Um, cool. Um, so, but we're not, don't worry about these right now. We're just doing these. So what I want you guys to do is look at Colossians 1, 15 to 20 with the person next to you, and you're going to um, just do the who, what, when, where, and why. Do that now. I will give you guys five minutes. We'll be done at 10. more minutes.
All right, let's come back together. So, all right, so here's what we're going to do. What I want to know is what are all of the unique who's in the text? Meaning, if, if a person is described more than once, we're just looking for the, I mean, that, that one person. So how many people are in this text? So you guys can just shout it out. Who's here? Jesus. Okay, Jesus. God, yep. The church. The church, yep. The dead. The dead, yep. Rulers and authorities. I'll put those together. Okay, great. Now, some of you guys may say, well, I didn't have those ones, which is fine. This whole process, again, the inductive method, the whole point of it is for you to understand the original meaning that the author intended. It's the whole point of us doing this. And this whole process is trying to make you a better thinker. These, this checklist is trying to make you a better thinker. So you may question these. You may say, the dead, is that really a person? Good. Put a question mark next to that and answer that later. Or um, the church, is that really a person or is it, you know, whatever. Um, that's totally fine. You can answer that later. All right, now, what are the what's? This is going to get interesting. Okay, say it loud. Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, okay. Creation. Creation. Thrones. Thrones. All things. All things. <laughs> done. We're done. We're done. done. We're done. We're done. <laughs> no, okay, okay, continue, continue. Anything else? Image. Image. Cross. Cross. Peace, yep. Firstborn. Firstborn. Blood. Fullness of God. Beginning. You know, I I would say beginning is not. Because I think that... Um, Actually, you know what? No, let's put beginning. Let's put beginning. Let's put beginning. All right. Um, okay. Anything else? From what? Thrones and dominions. What is it? Head, body. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Anything else? Everything. Everything. Which is different than all things. Both of them are there. But they may not be different in real life, okay? But they are in the text, right? They're both there. All right, anything else? We said blood. All right, good, good, good. That, that's a good list. That's a good list. Okay, so um, what I do when I'm looking at these what's, 
usually something will stick out to me in the what's or in the who's, and I say, I want to know what he actually means by that. And so then I will take Colossians and I'll just start looking around that passage. I kind of do like a concentric circle thing where I just like get a little bit bigger every time, just looking like, does he define that a little bit more? And you want to, you want to get as close as possible to the actual test, text where you're at. Um, so, but, but just keep looking. How does he define that elsewhere within Colossians? How does he define that elsewhere within the specific passage that I'm, that I'm looking at um, and define that more? And honestly, oftentimes I get hung up so much on the who's and the what's that I don't get much further than that, which is fine because I'm, I'm learning a lot about what Paul means when he says heaven and earth and all things and the beginning, things like that. Okay, now, a when. Beginning. Beginning. So now we got to say, wait, what? All right, what else? Before. Wait, what? All right. What else? Yep. Yep. Hey, that's, that's actually really important. A lot of times in a text, you'll see he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's past tense. But it's speaking of a present reality. That's important. You want to note those. So is, that's good. Anything else? Were. Were. Okay. All right. For sake of time, I'm going to keep going. Um, any words in the text? Heaven and earth. Yep. Dominions. Wait, what? Uh, anything else? What? Head. Okay, it's location, I guess. Wait, what? All right, okay. Um, anything else? Yeah, not in him. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't do the, the in. Yeah, anytime that it says in Jesus, I, I wouldn't really count that as, as a where because it's not getting at what we're really trying to describe here. Um, so, um, and then any whys. Are there any whys in the text? And we'll just take one why for sake of time. That he might be preeminent. That he might be preeminent. And so that's the, that's, am I spelling this right? Okay, that he might be preeminent. So that's um, the reason, right? But what's the original thing he says? <coughs> that in everything he might be pre- preeminent, right? Now, this is a good question. We talked about this as, our, as a staff team yesterday. When he says that in everything he might be preeminent, is he saying that he might be preeminent among the firstborn from the dead? Or is he saying that that and everything he might be preeminent, that's modifying literally everything he just said before them. Like, where does it stop? And we're not going to answer that question, but just trying to help you guys think of how you would go about asking questions. So, um, okay, good. Very, very good. Very good. Um, now, two things about this text I just want to explain. The first is when it says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's not speaking of time here. He's not speaking chronologically. He's not saying Jesus was the first one to be created. Firstborn in this context means priority. He's the most important. He's, he's important. He's above all creation. That's what firstborn means. It doesn't mean that he is created. He wasn't created. We know that he wasn't created. The, um, 
The rest of the Bible says that he, he wasn't created. Um, that's, that's what it means. It means priority here. Um, in the same way that a firstborn back in that day would basically get the, the inheritance, that's what it's speaking about here. That's who, that's who Christ is. He gets the inheritance. Um, and, um, and then secondly, down in eight, verse 18, you say, he might be preeminent. Anne Mikola, shout out. She gave a really good analogy for this. Some of you guys might look at that and say, he might be preeminent. Like, maybe it's like a, hopefully he is. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying a might like it's a possibility, I guess. What it's saying, in the same way that you would say, I opened a door that I might walk through it. You're definitely going to walk through the door, right? So might can be used in more ways than one. And that's the term it's using here. Might just means it's going to happen. Okay? Okay, that's it. All right. So, um, why don't we go back here? All right, let's talk about prayer. How can you actually do this in real life? So I've got three quick points for you guys, and then I've got four quick points for you guys, and then I've got three quick points for you guys. (laughs) All right, so, yeah, I know. All right, so... um, First, I just want to answer the question, what should it look like? I didn't really describe what it should look like. I'd find it. I said it's answering God. But what does that actually look like when you're actually praying with God? So I've got three things for you. Again, speaking from my experience, not saying this is exhaustive. But here's three things. First one is it should be a conversation. So it should be a conversation with God. And that may seem strange to you because you're like, well, I'm just going to be speaking into thin air. But the reality is, when you look at the Bible, you see something in the Bible, and then you pray to God about it, there's an interaction that happens. I oftentimes find myself going to prayer and then feeling convicted for things that I'm saying. Or my mind changes to something else, and I start talking to God. That's, as a Christian, the Spirit's working in you and reminding you of things. And so it should be a conversation. Treat it as if you would talk to a friend. We want to be reverent to God, but... He's also our friend. We can talk to him like that. Secondly, it should be candid. What I mean by candid is you should be completely honest about how you're doing. So it should be candid. And this is something I think a lot of people struggle with. So you have something really hard in your life going on, and you think, I talk with my friends about it, but I don't really talk with God about it in the same way. When I come to prayer, I should say, oh, Lord, you are great. So I'm not going to be honest with him about how I actually feel. That's not good. The Psalms are all over the place. They're expressing to God their emotions and how they feel. Job argued with God in the book of Job. That's a good thing to do. You need to do that. When you have a hard situation in your life, you need to say, God, I feel this way. I feel frustrated with you. I feel angry right now because of this situation. You, you, can, you can talk with God that way. He can handle it. He really can handle it. And it's really important that you do that. Um, And then thirdly, it should be consistent. It should be something that you're doing on a continual basis. I think in 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. (laughs) Whatever that means. Um, Yeah, it says pray without ceasing. So it should be a consistent thing that you're doing. God is constantly with you. He's, He's a present reality. And so, and I would say that the best way to be consistent is to build it into your life as a discipline. So, um, 
So quickly, let, let's, let's narrow it down. So that's what it should look like. Let's talk about how to make it consistent. And then I will talk about an acronym for you guys. So um, next question, how to make it consistent. How can you make this consistent? I'll show you guys. This is what I do. So I have, um, I have prayer cards um, that I use. So I would use note cards if I were you. Um, use note cards. Um, the, I, I pray through roles in my life. So I have a card for me as a Christian. I have a card for me as a husband. I have a prayer card for me as a father. I have a prayer card for me as a campus outreach staff member. And just things that I'm praying for with God about. Those, those types of things. And I have little bullets that I, that I pray for. So I pray through roles in my life. It just helps me to, to like think through all the things that I want to pray for. Um, and then I have specific things that I'm actually praying for. And this is really cool. God really does answer prayer. You'll see this. Um, Anne, again, I'm mentioning Anne. Uh, Anne and I have a, a friend, a mutual friend, who in college um, we thought was a Christian then didn't know if she was a Christian because she started dating a non-believer and basically just walked away from the faith. And Anne had a prayer card in college that was praying that she would come back to the Lord and that he would become a believer. Today, they're our good friends and they're walking with the Lord and they're both in a church. He became a believer within that year. It's amazing how God answers prayer. And if you write it down, you'll be able to see God doing that. He really does do that. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So um, pray for specific things in your life and, and for other people. Um, and what I do is... Um, I, I just do it after, after I read the Bible. I'll spend a little time going through these. I take my note cards with me when I'm going to the store. So I'll, I'll do them in the car as I'm going to the store or when I'm walking around campus, I'll just pull them out and I'll, I'll run through a couple of note cards. Um, so just some thoughts. Now, that may feel overwhelming. These are not all note cards. These, a lot of these are blank. <laughs> like most of them are blank. So these are my note cards. These are my favorite note cards. So. Um, Awkward. No, um, so uh, I would start small, though. Don't, don't feel like you've got to come up with this giant prayer system. What I would recommend is while you're on project, go buy note cards and just put five bullet points down on one note card and put it in your back pocket. When you're at Walmart, pray through those things, whatever they may be. That's what I'd recommend to you. Just build it as a daily habit, something that you're looking at every single day. Um, so, now, um, how do you pray? Um, this is the last thing I'm going to show you. So, there's uh, an acronym called ACTS. Some of you guys know it. Um, so, write this down, right? A-C-T-S. So, like that. <laughs> so, the first, the first one is adoration. And this is specifically getting at, um, um, what does it look like when I'm actually praying to God? Um, the first thing I'd say is adoration. There's so much to be praised about God. And when you see his delight for you, and you see his majesticness, his majesty, <laughs> you can't help but, but pray. Sometimes it's really hard to pray because you, you don't feel the emotional thing, but it's still important to do that. Remind yourself of truth that, that the Bible says about who God is. Um, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Um, so adoration, second is, uh, oh, and with adoration, the question you're really answering is what is praiseworthy of God? 
What is worthy of praise about God? Secondly, confession. And the, the question you're answering is, how have I rejected God? And talk with God about that, whatever it may be. And maybe when you come to God, most of the time, actually, you're not going to have already worked through it. It's not like, well, that's a thing of the past, and now you and I are, are good. Probably it's a present reality, and you don't feel good about it. Express that emotion to God. Confess. Talk through it with him. Um, that's what confession look, should look like. And then third, um, thanksgiving. So um, question you're answering is, how has he provided for me? The beauty of this is, ultimately, if your life is going really, really terribly, things are really, really hard, you can say without shadow of doubt, if you're a Christian, this life will pass away and I will be with God for eternity because he has made a way. You can say that every single time you pray. It's always true, regardless of your circumstance. And it's a really helpful reminder when you're praying to God. So, Thanksgiving, how has he provided for me? And then the last is supplication. What does that mean? Um, so supply, supplication. Um, question you're asking is, what are my needs right now? So um, some examples from my own life. Um, we just bought a house. Justine and I just bought a house. And we're in the, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and we're in the, we're in the period of, we bought it, but we haven't closed on it. So we're, when we get back from the project, we're going to close on our house. And there's a lot of things that needed to get done with that. One of them being we had a lease in our current place until the end of August and we needed to fill it. And we had people at the end of May who said, yeah, we'll do it for the summer. And they just informed us, hey, we can't do it for the month of June. We'll only do it for July and August. And we're like, that's fine. But then they informed us again and said, hey, we can't do it for July or August either. It was like, okay, I've done a project. I've got a lot going on. How do I deal with that? That's something that I've been bringing to the Lord. I've been saying, Lord, I don't know what to do here. Can you give me wisdom? Can you help me? process through this. Can you help me in my conversation with them when I talk to them again? Uh, I feel angry towards them. Lord, would you help me with that? Um, I know that you're a good provider. I know that you will take care of all of our needs. You already have. You've, you've proven that to me. So, um, so that's an example of, of a supplication. Another one is um, emotionally. When Justine and I get into a fight, it's so interesting how I really don't want to pray <laughs> because I know that I'm in the wrong. When, when we get into a fight, I get so angry and I, I don't want to respond to her. A couple nights ago, um, we got up in the middle of the night. Sullivan's teething right now, and so he, his teeth really, really hurt. So he's been getting up multiple times in the night. And there's just something about being tired that just really pisses me off. Um, so, but my response is anger towards Justine. And if I pray, the first thing that comes to my mind is my shame. Because I know that I'm in the wrong, right? I don't, I don't want to do that. But don't shy away from that. Lord, I need your help in this. It's like supplication turning to confession. I need your help in this. I, I still feel this way. I feel angry right now. Help me. Help, help me process through this. Okay. So um, now as you can see, you, as you probably could see as I was talking, these things flow into one another. So I'm not saying adore and then confess and then things. They, they really flow into one another. Saying that, I have began making it a habit every time that I pray to try and start with God's goodness. I always try and adore him first, just so I can remind myself of who God is. I think it's a good place to start. So that's, that'd be my recommendation. Uh, this is just something that you can 
um, how you can pray, when you're looking at your note cards, um, a framework for, for how you can think about it. So, um, okay. I will pray. We will be done. If you guys have any questions about prayer or anything else, I would love to talk with you. But I am not uh, the master of prayer. There's a, I mean, all the staff in here pray on a regular basis. There is just as good of resources as I am. So feel free to talk with me or talk with anybody else if you have questions about how this actually looks. If there's anything confusing about what I said, feel free to talk to me. So I'll pray. Father, you delight in us. And um, we don't deserve that. But you've made a way because you've already loved us. You already wanted to be with us. Um, therefore, you are trustworthy. And we can come to you with all of our problems and fears and joys, the things that we love. We can come to you because you are a trustworthy father. You don't promise that we're going to have an easy life but you do promise that you will be with us and that we will be able to be with you in glory for all of eternity. So, Lord, um, I pray that you would impress that on our hearts with the reality of what you've given us and who you are towards us and who you are. Make us want to pray. And with this room, 10 years from now, um, would a mark of their life be prayer? that they would constantly be praying to you, Lord, I pray. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org.